Do you ever think about your conversion? Do you ever think about how you got saved? What was, what was happening in your life when that happened? Uh, do you ever think about who told you the gospel? Who, who had a part in that? Who had an impact in your life in presenting the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you ever think about all that was going on and all the pieces that fell into place and maybe some of those pieces you didn't know that they were, they were assembled and they were in place at that time. But do you ever think about uh, the process of your conversion? Do you ever think about that? Well, this morning I, I want to say something and I want to tell us something. Uh, sometimes we act like there, there are these great conversions and these folks that have great testimonies and maybe it was this marvelous story, it's this tremendous over-the-top event, and you hear it, and you hear the story, and you see where God was working, and you see where, where things happen, and it gives you chills as you hear the account. And sometimes we think, well, there's those type of experiences. Then there are just regular conversions, or there are just normal conversions, and maybe they're less impressive, or maybe, maybe they're less uh, flashy, and so we hold these, these conversions up over here, but maybe there's, there's just normal ones over here. I remember being in the youth group when I was a young man, and I remember they would bring in people, and these, these folks would come in, and maybe it would be for a weekend, or maybe it would be for a youth revival, or whatever the event, but they would bring them in, and these folks would tell of all of the things that they did, and they would tell of all the bad things that they had done, all the things that their life had included, and they would have this long spellbinding story, and they would say, when I was this age, I did this, and when I was this age, I, I found myself here, and they would, they would weave this long story, and they would tell how unlikely it was that they would ever be saved, and then they would tell the point when they found Jesus Christ, and, and everybody would listen to that, the youth group would listen to that, and we would sit there and say, wow, how amazing. And I used to sit there and think, you know, my story's not like that. And I would sit there and think, you know what, I, I never rode with hell's angels. I never did. Never did any of these other things. I never did that stuff. My story is my dad got saved when he was 29. In the hearing of the consistent preaching of God's word, he got saved. And when he was 36 years old, he was growing in his understanding of Christ. He was growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in that year, he decided to lead his family in an early morning Bible study. And I remember playing this day. I was in fourth grade. My sister was in the third grade. And on a, on a quiet morning on a weekday, I don't remember the day, there was no fanfare. There was no speaker. There was no auditorium. But there in our living room, my dad led us in a Bible study. And then he led my sister and I to Christ. I remember after that, we went to church that following Sunday. Now, I remember as he walked us down the aisle to tell the church of our decision. And I remember looking back on that day, and it was the first time I ever remember seeing my dad cry. And as a little fourth grade guy, a little blonde-haired boy, I was saved. And I want to tell you this morning, and I want you to listen very carefully. It was no less miraculous than any salvation that has ever taken place. And I want you to understand it was no less important the proclamation of the gospel that my dad did there in that quiet living room than any time the gospel has ever been proclaimed. And I want to tell you, praise the Lord, it is the same with you today. 
Maybe your conversion experience, maybe you have some tremendous story to go with it. Praise the Lord if you do. Maybe you would say it's in the consistent teaching of a church. Maybe it was in the consistent teaching of my home. But I want to tell you, praise the Lord. It is a marvelous, miraculous thing when a person comes to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Today we're going to continue and we're going to read the account of Saul's conversion and Saul's call into the ministry. We're going to continue those verses. We looked at those verses last week. We're going to go over the exact same verses again this week with a different focus. Our message today is entitled, A New Creation. A New Creation. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. A New Creation. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 10, it says this. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered into the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and we are thankful today. We come, and we, we know you are faithful. We know you're trustworthy. We know you're gracious. We know you're kind to us as sinners. And so, Lord, we come on this day, this Lord's day, we praise you. We're thankful for Jesus, our hope, for Jesus, our anchor, for Jesus, the Savior, for Jesus, the King. Lord, we exalt his name. And Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray for these that have gathered it, for those that will hear this, I, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray it would be a supernatural event. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would lead us and direct us and convict us, that you would shape us as your people today. Lord, I, I pray for some that are in the hearing of this today that may not know you. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would receive the kindness, the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your church. We praise you today. and We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you remember last week, we looked at the exact same set of verses. However, our focus last week was on the faithful disciple, Ananias. And we looked very closely at the story of Ananias. Well, again, this week we're revisiting the verses 
And we're going to continue where we, where we left off the week before with the conversion and the call to ministry of Saul. Now, as we go back to these verses, remember the context so far. Saul is a devout Jew. Saul is a highly educated man. He is a highly esteemed man. Saul is a Pharisee. In fact, he would later say a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. Well, Saul has decided to stamp out the message of Jesus Christ, to stamp out the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sees it as a heresy. He sees it as a threat. And so he has decided to stamp out, to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's more than just a mission for him, but says he is actually breathing in hatred and murder for those who follow Jesus Christ. And so understand, Saul is consumed in hate for believers. He is consumed in hatred for those who are following Jesus Christ. And it is brewing inside of him. It is consuming him to his very core. In the book of Acts, it records for us his attacks, his persecution against the believers in Jerusalem. Remember the account of the of Stephen and how he is stoned. Well, it tells us of his attack of the Christians there in Jerusalem. Well, now he has decided to take his mission on the road. Evidently, he has heard of the spread of the gospel in Damascus. And so he has sought the authority of the high priest to go to Damascus and bind up the believers, to catch the believers, and to bring them back to Jerusalem and most likely to put them to death. So he is off on this mission. He is taking it now on the road. Well, if you remember the account, on the way to Damascus, he has met Jesus. He has miraculously encountered Christ on the road. And those were the preceding verses. In that account, in that event, he is blinded. After that, he has been led the rest of the way a short distance to Damascus. The Bible says once there, he neither ate nor drank for three days. And so he has been taken the rest of the way to the city of Damascus. He has been there and he has not eaten or he has not had anything to drink for three days. And that brings us to our verses today. Now, as always, we're going to move through our verses. We're going to go piece by piece through our verses. And I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully to our verses today. God is going to speak to us in the proclamation of his word today. He's going to speak through these verses today. So I'm going to ask that you listen very carefully. Starting back in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. Now, remember from last week, there is this disciple, there is this follower of Jesus Christ. It means that he has placed himself under Christ, he has submitted to Christ, he has taken on the teachings of Christ, there is this disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Now Saul is now there also, but there in the city is the disciple Ananias. The Bible says, the Lord calls his name Ananias. And the verse tells us, he quickly responds, here am I, Lord. All right, verses 11 and 12. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul 
for he is praying. Verse 12, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Pretty straightforward instructions there in these two verses, but I want to I stop right here and I, I want to say this. I believe at this point Saul has been saved. I believe at this point Saul has been saved. And you say, well, why do you believe that? I'll tell you, we're going to see some other indications of that as we progress through our verses. But notice here, he is praying. Saul is praying. Now, I want you to watch this and see the progression. He has met Jesus on the road. He has heard Jesus say to him, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus the one whom you are persecuting. After that, he's been blinded, miraculously. After that, he's been led into the city the rest of the way. The Bible says after that, he's now spent three days there, I believe, considering what has happened. Now, it is so profound and so heavy that he cannot eat. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where the, the news is so grave or the situation is so tough that you have no appetite. And so I believe now in the city, considering the events, he has not eaten for three days. I believe he is remembering the Scriptures. Now remember, he's an expert in the Scriptures. And so I believe he's remembering the Scripture that he knows, the ones that tell of a Savior sent from God, the ones that say that God Himself would rend the heaven and send a Savior. And I believe he's remembering the scriptures that told of the Messiah and how he would come and where he would be born and how he would be received. And I believe the words of Moses are are stirring in his mind. And I believe he's thinking about the words of Moses. And I believe the words of the prophet Isaiah are stirring in his mind and, and stirring in his heart. And I believe he is wrestling with the word of God that he knew. Now more than that, he knows the claims of Christ. He knows why Jesus died. He knows why they put him to death. He knows the message that Jesus preached. I am the Messiah. I am the one that fulfilled the teaching of Isaiah. He knows the claims of Jesus Christ. And I believe those claims are processing in his mind. They're they're running in his heart and he's wrestling with that as well. More than that, he knows the preaching of the church. Now listen to this one. He knows the preaching of the church. Do you know why the church has to be on message? Do you know why the church can't be distracted? Do you know why the church can't take up another message? Saul knows the message of the church. Listen, that was the message he was going to shut down. He knew what it was. He knew they were teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the Savior. He knew the preaching of the church. He heard the sermon of Stephen. Remember back? A very detailed sermon. He heard what what Stephen said. You've killed the Christ. He's risen again. The death and the burial and the resurrection of, of Jesus for sinners. He's heard the sermon of Stephen very clearly. And I believe for these days, he has been confronted with that. He knows the truth of Jesus. He knows the claims of Jesus. He knows the preaching of the church. He knows the word of God that pointed to Jesus. And I believe he is is wrestling and processing that in his mind. And I don't know when it was, but whenever it was, now the Bible says he is found praying. God is speaking and he is praying. 
I believe at this point he's saved. Now I want to I look here at something that's a big deal. And you, we may read across it and not, not see it as a big deal, but I want to look here at something I believe is a big deal. And I want to ask the question, I want to consider this morning, is this a normal salvation? Is this a normal salvation? And let me, let me take it a step further. Did he have a choice in the matter? Did he have a choice? You read this. Did he have a choice? Did Christ appear and save him apart from his own volition? That's a good question. Did Christ appear and save him apart from his own choosing, apart from his own decision? Did Christ come and say, upon this event, you shall be saved? Now, there are some that teach that. In fact, I'll tell you, it's a growing number, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a growing number in this day that teach that. Saul had no choice in the matter. He didn't have any choice. He had to do what God had placed upon his heart, and they, they used these verses, they used this account to build that understanding of salvation. I want you to be very careful, and I want you to hear me. That is not true. That is not true. I want you to hear me very carefully today. Saul was saved by hearing the gospel. And upon hearing the gospel, by responding in faith to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen very carefully. There is only one way to be saved. You know that there's not two ways to be saved. There's not many ways to be saved. There's not you find the way that fits you best to be saved. There is only one way to be saved. And now listen to me. There's not one way for some people and another way for other people. There, there's not a way for special people, but another way for other people. There is only one way to be saved. Listen, Saul was saved and we are saved when we see our sin and when we know our, our, our need for a Savior from that sin and when we trust Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah and the remedy for sin. And to say any different is not biblical. Now, How do you know that? Because it is Paul who says we're saved when you believe in your heart and profess in your mouth Jesus as Lord. Romans chapter 10, you are saved by belief. It is by faith. It is Paul who says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, it is by faith that we are saved. It is Paul who says, we're saved and thus we receive the Spirit. How? By hearing by faith. That's what he says in Galatians chapter 3. It is by hearing the gospel and in receiving it in faith. It is Paul who says there's only one way to be saved. It's Paul who says there's only one gospel. It's the only message, the singular message that he ever preached. Listen, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, listen. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. Listen, for I delivered to you what I also received. 
folks understand today, he wasn't saved by one means and then went out preaching a different means. No, he was saved when he was informed by the word of God, when he was informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he knowingly, willingly, volitionally repented of his sin, and he turned to Jesus Christ, trusting him as Savior. There's only one way to be saved, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. He did it in faith. Let me say something. No one will ever be saved against their will. You understand that? No one's ever going to be saved against their will. No one's going to ever be saved in a robotic, automatic response. No one's ever going to be saved without choosing Jesus Christ in faith as their Lord and Savior, as the remedy for their sins. That is the message of Paul, and it's consistent at the start, and it's consistent all the way to the end. How he is saved is how we will be saved, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's a big deal. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. The saints, that's the first time it's used as the collective description of believers for the church. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Verse 14. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias says, I know who he is. He says, go to this house and you'll find a guy named Saul and he'll be at this street. He says, I know who he is. We know who he is. We've heard what he's done. More than that, I know why he is here. Here's what he says. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure, Lord? He's here to capture us. He's here to take us to our death. He's here to end the proclamation of the gospel. Are you sure, Lord? Verse 15, tremendous verse. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. A great verse, he says, go. Ananias says, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure I know who he is? And he says, go. Ananias, I know what I'm doing. You go. Ananias, you can trust what I'm saying. You go. Now I want to look at some words in this 15th verse. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. The word for chosen here is not talking about salvation. It's talking about his calling into the ministry is going to tie in here in a second. The word for chosen is the Greek word that means of choice. He is of choice. It means he is selected. Another translation is a choosing out. I believe the best way to understand it is to be picked. And so Jesus says, go, I have selected him. I have chosen him out. I have picked him says he is a chosen instrument. Now listen to this, it's pretty awesome. In the original language, it is a vessel. 
It is a utensil. It is an implement. It is a tool or it is an instrument. He is a chosen instrument. He is a chosen tool is what that means. Now, a tool was something to be used for a job or to complete work. Now, think about that. Tools are very specific in what they're used for. And I think it's very specific in what he's saying here. You might have a hammer, and you can't use a hammer as a screwdriver. And you might have a drill, and you can't use your drill as a hammer, unless you're a farmer and you might try it. You can't use your drill for a hammer. Tools are very specific in what they're used for. And so he says, he is built, he is intended, he is placed for a specific purpose. He is a tool, he is an instrument. Jesus says he is an hand-picked tool. Then he says this, of mine. He is a chosen instrument of mine. Now listen, it gets even better here. God says he is a hand-picked, hand-selected instrument, tool of mine. That means he is God's. He belongs to God. He is going to be used in the hand of God. It means he is created, he is built, he is picked, and he is placed by God himself. And so he says, Ananias, you have to go because he is mine and I built him and I placed him and I've got things for him to do and we've got work to do. And so Ananias, you need to go. Now what was the purpose of this tool? Why did he pick him? Now remember, a tool is specific. Here's the reason. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Listen, here's the reason. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, the leaders of nation, and the sons of Israel. Those are the Jews. And so he says, he is going to bear my name to the non-Jews, to the Jews, and to the leaders of nations. Now, if you think about that, that is everybody. He is going to bear my name to everybody. The sons of Israel, they're going to hear the name of Jesus from him. Those that are pagans, those that don't know that God, they're going to hear the name of Jesus from him. The leaders of nations, those that are in influence, they're going to hear his name, the gospel, through him. The word for bear means to carry. It means to get under and carry. It means to deliver. It means to take up. And in the fullest sense, it means to declare. And he says, he's going to declare my name. He's going to declare the name of Jesus. Listen, the specific tool, the specific purpose of the specific tool is to proclaim the name of Jesus to all people. This is a fantastic verse. This is a fantastic statement. Now listen very carefully. Jesus says to Ananias, you see Ananias, all you know is his past. All you know are the terrible things that he's done. All you know is his sin. All you know, Ananias, you know what he's done. All you know is that he's blind and he's waiting now. But I know that he is mine. And I know that I built him. And I know that I chose him. And I know it's for my purpose. And he says, I know that by faith he's now been saved. And the one that was filled with anger 
is now bowed in prayer. The once proud Pharisee, he is now a humble preacher. The one that was a stickler for the law, he's now an ambassador for the grace of our Savior Jesus. The one that sought to stop the gospel, he's now going to be responsible for the spread of the gospel. Jesus says, the one that persecuted me, he's now going to bear my name, not just in this little region, but to all places. Oh, listen, Ananias, you've got to go, Ananias. He's my chosen instrument to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woo, this is my favorite part. Do you see the change? Ooh, do you see the change? Do you know only God can do that? Do you know I've seen that when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know God is the only one that can change? Do you see what's happened here? That is what God does in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure of this today, friend. This is Saul's account. But the truth is universal. You can't meet Jesus and you can't be saved and not be changed. Oh, I tell you what, I look back at sometimes and I think, oh, the things I did and the things I thought and the way I was, oh, the instincts we have as, as, as fleshly people that seek our own desire. And I say, you know what? I'm so thankful for the change that Christ has wrought in my life, that he has brought in my life. Listen, you can't meet Jesus and you can't be saved and not be changed. And that change is what brings glory to God. Don't you know when they got to know Paul, when they got to hear him teach, when they knew who he was and what he'd been and what he, where he'd done, don't you know that glorified the God who changed his very heart Listen, when I read that, it is no wonder. See how it makes sense? It's no wonder that Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the guy that wrote that. Praise the Lord. You can't be saved and not be changed. Praise the Lord. God is the one that changes hearts. Woo, God... Mm, is it willpower? No. Is it, is it strength that I'm going to change? No. God is the one that changes hearts. Verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now really you have to understand this in the whole context of the conversation. But the Lord said to him, verse 13 and 14, I, I've heard about this man, I've heard the harm he did. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Very somber verse. Kind of a, kind of a verse that jerks you back to reality. You see, that's the reality of the world. And I want to tell you, nothing has changed today. That's the, that's the reality of our world today in 2020. And I want to tell you, the world still hates Jesus Christ. The world still hates Jesus Christ. The world still detests the name of Jesus. The world still hates the good news of the gospel. And so it still persecutes the bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus makes it clear here. He says, oh, I know the harm he's done to the church. Jesus makes it clear. The one who hated the gospel and its bearers, the table is now going to turn and he will now be the object of the hate and the hatred of the world. Ananias says, I know what he did. I know how hard he was on the church, the, the harm that he inflicted. And Jesus says, the table's going to turn and he will now stand under and suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remember something. And, and I want to tell you, I, I've been saying the, the study we're in is preparing us for the church in the last days. As we look at this church in the early days, it's preparing us for the church in the last days. Well, we need to remember something as we pass through this. Some of us might say, well, why is it like that? Why, why let those folks suffer? Why not get it off of them? Why not let them do it in peace and let them do it in joy? Why must they suffer to spread the gospel? Lord, that doesn't make any sense. Why not get it off of them? Why is it like that? Listen, we need to remember something. It is a battle for eternities. And we need to be very sure today. We need to remember Satan is playing for keeps. Listen, this isn't some superstition. This isn't some trumped up, made up thing. Satan is the enemy and he is playing for keeps. And the Bible says he looks around for somebody to devour. Listen, those are the words of Scripture. He is looking for somebody to devour. It means literally dismember. He wants to dismember people. And you want to know why the cost is high today? You want to know why the road is so hard? You want to know why there's great suffering in the proclamation of the gospel? It's because eternal souls are at stake. The lives of people are at stake. And Satan is real in his opposition. And he can't stand the gospel. And he can't stand the proclaimers of the gospel. And the world is against us. And the fury of hell is unleashed on the proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to show him how much he'll suffer. And he who once hated will now stand under the hatred of Satan and the lost world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 17. So Ananias departed, I love that, and he entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, I like that. Brother Saul, that's how he addresses him. Be sure and understand this. Ananias doesn't know him. All he knows is that he's a murderer. All that he knows is he's a divisive person. All that he knows is the hatred that he's heard. Ananias doesn't know him, but listen, he does know Jesus and he trusts the words of Jesus and the very guy that came to seek him, the very guy that came to kill him, he's gonna trust what Jesus said and so when he meets him face to face, he says, Brother Saul, they're brothers in Christ. Brother Saul. I'm going to take a side note here for just a second. We're already so late, it's not going to matter. All of the division today, have you noticed, have you watched? You'd have to be blind not to. All of the hatred today, this party against that party, against that person, against that movement, against that name, against that color, against that race, 
all of the hatred and the division today, all of the slander and the garbage talk and the fighting, all, all of the mess, all of the disunity today, Man, we are so disunified, and I'm talking everywhere in our churches, in our homes, in our, in our cities, in our nations, all of the disunity today. Listen, you know what the answer is, and I want to say it. I can't say it loud enough. It's not going to be in politics. It's not going to be in a government. It's not going to be in an army. It's not going to be in an election. It's not going to be in a person we, we elect. It's not going to be in a movement. It's not going to be in a protest. It's not going to be in a council. It's not going to be in a university. The answer today is only going to be found when people get saved and find Jesus Christ. Then we become brothers and sisters. We need to quit messing around. We need to quit saying, well, we'll sit in on your council. Listen, there'll be peace with men when there's peace with God. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll be peace when people get saved. He comes up and says, oh, brother Saul, brother Saul. Verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight. Woo, and he got up and he was baptized. He hated this movement. He hated this movement. He is now forever tagged as a believer in the movement. And he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now we read that. I, I've read that. We read that. And we say, wow. We, we read that and maybe it's so radical. We, we love it. We hear it. But maybe we can't relate to it. And so we hear that as we say, oh, that I would have a Damascus Road experience. I wish I would have one. And so we hold it up up here. It's not like what happened to me. And we hold it up up here. Well, I want to close by telling you this this morning. And I, boy, I want you to get it. This Savior that appears on the road to Damascus, this Savior that appears as a bright light and blinds him, this Savior who says, I am Jesus, the one who's resurrected from the grave, the one who died on the cross, the one who paid for sins, the one who lived a life with no, no sin, the one who was miraculously born, the one is the Son of God, that Jesus, listen, that Jesus that is our Savior. I think we're losing sight of that. That is our Savior. And that salvation, that salvation that makes you new in Christ, that salvation that forgives you of your sins, that salvation that restores you with the Holy God, that salvation that you can't earn, that salvation that you're going to die apart from, that salvation that you need, that salvation that is wrought miraculously, supernaturally in the power of God, that salvation, listen, is our salvation. That salvation, that's my salvation. That power, that power to change the heart, that is still His power. It's no less. It's not diminished. That church, that church where He would say, oh, brother Saul, that church is still our church. Saul is my brother. Ananias is my brother. They have not changed. That is our Savior. That is our salvation. 
That is still God's power. That is still the church. And I want to tell you in this day today, oh, are they needed today. What's the world need today? They need Jesus. Ooh, what's a lost world need? They need salvation. What's the folks to do when they put their faith in Christ? Oh, they need a church. They need brothers and sisters. Oh, are they needed today. And so I bring this full circle and I end by saying this. So have you met Jesus? Have you met him? Because I want to tell you, there's no hope outside of him. There's no peace outside of him. There's no answer outside of him. Have you met Jesus? And then let me say this. And if you have, who are you going to tell about Jesus? Who will you tell about Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I'm thankful for the Savior that I have in Jesus. Not a version of that Savior. That's my Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for the salvation that we have by faith in Jesus. No work of our own lest we would boast. I'm thankful that we didn't get cleaned up enough. We didn't do enough good things. We couldn't do it. But I'm thankful that in your grace and in your power, you save us. We receive it by faith. Lord, I'm thankful for that salvation. Lord, I'm thankful for the power of God that still changes people today, changes hearts today, just as you've changed our eternity. Lord, I'm thankful for the church that you place us in. And I pray that we would walk in that power. We proclaim that Savior. And I pray we would exhibit such unity. Lord, I, I pray for some in this very room that have not met you. I pray that today, in the hearing of the gospel, in the presentation of the good news, that today will be the day they trust you. Lord, move in their heart. Remove any hindrance. And I pray for your glory that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for those here that have received Christ. I pray that we would be diligent, we would be urgent to tell people there is a hope, there is a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Lord, use us for that. Lord, in this time of invitation, I ask that you move, that you work, that you lead, that you speak. And I pray the result again will bring great glory to you. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.